This is KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Justin Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, listen, Happy New Year to all of our Arab Talk listeners and viewers. We're very excited to be starting another 2020, another new year. We have lots of exciting information and news. Uh, Arab Talk has uh, been on a bit of a hiatus right now. But I'm glad to say that Jamal and I are back in studio and live on Facebook. And uh, Jamal, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to, to you and to everyone to, and to all of our listeners in the San Francisco Bay Area and on Facebook. But uh, we're uh, broadcasting myself live from San Francisco, but Jamal is joining us live from Jerusalem and Palestine. And Jamal, we have so much that has happened since our last episode on Arab Talk. And since we last spoke, there's been an extrajudicial targeted assassination on the second most powerful man in Iran, Qasem Soleimani, or in Farsi, we say Qasem Soleimani. Um, this was an extrajudicial assassination on what could arguably be the second most powerful person in Iran. We have the ongoing Im- impeachment crisis that's going on, as well as the general unrest that's going on in Syria, Iraq, and generally in the Middle East. So I think I'd like to start the show by actually asking you from the perspective of what you're hearing and seeing in the Arab world, what has the response been to this targeted assassination of Qasem Soleimani? Well, you know, the news here is uh, not a monolith. Uh, It depends on the the different sources. And uh, as uh, our listeners might uh, know that I'm now, I've been here for uh, at least three weeks in the Middle East. I'm I'm currently in Jerusalem. So I've been, uh, of course, monitoring the news from uh, location and watching Arab media as well as Israeli media. Of course, this was a shock. The assassination was a shock. And it came, uh, you know, at a time when people were celebrating the new year. You know, it's a new beginning. And so everybody was shocked and basically made everyone, uh, the news made everyone very nervous because they didn't know how this will, this was going to play out. And, of course, everyone got more uh, nervous when uh, Iran launched its missiles, but apparently, and we'll talk about this, uh, how come there were no casualties? So, so uh, people didn't know whether uh, this is going to be a full-fledged war or whether it was going to be just a limited skirmish. But taking us back to the importance, of course, of the assassination of Qasem Soleimani and the reasons that uh, Trump uh, gave uh, for his assassination and reaction, uh, of course, uh, you saw and people watched the millions of people in his... uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in his uh, funeral procession. So we know that he is a very important person. Some people say he's 
the third most important person in Iran. Others say he's the second most important person in Iran. So, so this was a huge loss for the people in Iran and its supporters uh, around the Middle East. Now, there are people who probably rejoiced, uh, people who who uh, have their differences with Iran, like in Saudi Arabia and some parts of the Arab world and some parts uh, in Iraq, even though we don't know the, you know, the whole repercussion uh, behind it. Uh, and then the response came from Iran and people thought, oh my God, we're going to have a nuclear war or we're going to have a World War Three. Then we found out that there were no casualties, even though the Iranian media initially was saying that there were 80 Americans who, who perished in the missile attack. And of course, the news uh, was false. And, and so the big question is why the Americans were given basically a notice about the attack, Right. I mean, we know Iran had its big loss because they lost an important general, an important leader, and the retaliation was just for show. Was it to save face? Uh, And apparently it looks this way so far. It looks that Iran gave the United States or gave Donald Trump a way out uh, to kind of de-escalate from from the situation because uh, I think we were going, you know, I for a minute I thought this is it. And oh, everyone really? around me thought this is it. We're going to have a full-fledged war. Well, let me, let, me, let me just put a couple of things into context about Qasem uh, Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani has been in a position of uh, military and political power, some people would say for approximately 30 years. As a young man, after the Iranian Revolution in 1979, he quickly rose through the ranks of the Iranian military and soon became the uh, leader of the uh, uh, Quds Force, which is the elite uh, military unit within Iran legendary for its military and paramilitary and uh, operational technique. It's had been known and feared throughout the world. Qasem Soleimani was widely uh, recognized as being one of the premier military minds in the Middle East. His reach extended not only in Iran, but Iraq, Syria, the Gulf, and generally in the Levantine area. Um, I think what, what's important to put in this context, whether or not he's second or third in terms of, uh, you know, his role, he was a state leader. He was um, uh, part of the political and military elite of a sovereign country, Jamal. And one thing to keep in mind, I mean, people have a hard time with this, but because the way the Western media have been portraying it is that they killed a terrorist. Yet another way to think about it would be if someone had assassinated or killed someone of equal stature in the United States, it would be like taking out Mike Pompeo, uh, Secretary Esper, and some people might say because he was second in command, 
someone as high as the Vice President of the United States. So it appears that many people in the Western media were quite surprised at the strength of the response in Iran about this assassination, finding it difficult to understand that this is like assassinating uh, a leader of a sovereign country. Why were people so surprised at the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who were truly outraged by this targeted assassination in the West Jamal? Why do you think there was so much surprise by how beloved he was? Well, I don't think, I think we have, uh, just we have now a war of misinformation, right? It's not, it's not a surprise. What the United States and its allies are putting out there in the media, what Israel is putting out there in the media, what the Iranians are putting out there in the media. I mean, if you look at it here, people are not, I mean, people are surprised with the, with the act itself that the United States would assassinate in Iraq another country, right? And not only assassinate uh, Soleimani, but they also assassinated Iraqis, more than 20 of them. Right. And uh, they, they assassinated actually the leaders of uh, uh, different groups within the Iraqi government and outside the Iraqi government who were responsible for, to, uh, who were responsible for driving out uh, ISIL or ISIS out of Iraq, and who were actually fighting ISIL, uh, you know, Daesh and ISIL, uh, whatever, all these acronyms uh, in Syria. Right. And at the time, when now we know from the different reports that Soleimani was there to communicate a message and try to mediate and to reach out through the Iraqis to both the United States and Saudi Arabia. Uh, we don't know the details of the message, but this is the news that we have been hearing, you know, out of, uh, you know, out of Iraq. And then, then later on, you know, we have this response, which everyone anticipated, and the response came. And it came, uh, you know, within a day or so, and we thought, everybody thought, you know, when you have an attack on two U.S. bases, that we were going to have a full-fledged war right here in the Middle East, but there were no casualties. And now we also found out, if you read the Washington Post, just in the past few hours, you'll have a report saying that the Americans had at least six hours' notice right. about the attack. right. So, so, so people are. When I'm saying the surprise here is this whole, you know, you know what the well, you know what the Arabs uh, Arabic word for a play it's masrahiyya, right? Masrahiyya. So everybody is saying this is a masrahiyya, which means this is a play. We are watching a play, you know. We 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 we're being duped. Yes, and of course the big losers don't don't don't. T take me wrong, that Iran lost a very, very important man and a very important leader. But the response and what's happening and all this confusion and people just throwing all these different information, it just shows us that there, through back channels, that there were an agreement, there was an agreement made, you know, I don't know if it was mediated through the Iraqis or different allies 
to kind of de-escalate the situation because you don't have a single American uh, who, who was hurt. And of course, you listen to, uh, I watched Donald Trump um, slurry speech, confusing speech, talking about the United States capabilities in intercepting, preventing. Hey, these missiles didn't land on any uh, American um, barracks or equipment, right? They just landed on empty buildings and outside these empty buildings. So don't tell me that they were prevented by the United States. And then later on, of course, uh, there were there are the many questions about the reason why now, why did Donald Trump? You know, this is also at, uh, this. You have to connect this with the with the election campaign, you have to, to connect this with the impeachment to create this distraction right after the entire world uh, celebrated the new year to create this distraction, right? You know, is it about the impeachment? Is it about election? Is it, does he want to show himself to be the tough guy after he campaigned that he was going to end all the wars and that he was not going to be an interventionist? Well, I think that's a, yeah, and I think that's a very important point, Jamal, because what he said was he was going to pull all troops from the Middle East out from, uh, all U.S. troops out from the Middle East. And what we've seen, in fact, he just recently redeployed 5,000 additional troops to the Middle East. He's kept troops in Afghanistan, and the troops that he promised to remove from Syria continue to be there. So in my mind, it seems like if we put the question to people who are, say, domestically interested, U.S. citizens and and things like that, did the assassination of Soleimani create a safer situation for Americans, or did it create a more unstable, unsafe situation from Americans? It seems like you could easily say Despite what you heard from the White House, this created greater instability, made Americans less safe, and created the prospect of more destabilization in the region. Because even though, Jamal, this is a temporary lull right now, I think it would be fair to say that Iran is not going to back down from what happened with this assassination. The Americans are issuing and putting more economic sanctions on Iran. I think that things are going to be ratcheted up. Is that your sense in terms of listening to the media or or looking at the uh, media in terms of what's happening in the Middle East? Well, to tell you the truth, I was surprised with the response. I mean, this whole masrahiyya or this play that Iran actually responded and then it, it, it hit nothing. Because my initial assessment was that the Iranians are not stupid enough to take on the United States. And that they would wait, you know, even though tempers have, are, you know, flared up and everything else, right. that they would be, that they would be tactical, and they would wait for the proper time to, to whatever, to attack uh, the American interests because uh, you know they could do it, do it across the globe, not just only in in the Middle East. So, so in the long run, in the short. Sure, maybe we've seen this kind of big brouhaha, uh, you know, happen and then uh, it ended within 48 hours. But we 
can never tell what's going to happen a month from now, two months from now, a year from now. Because if you watch the funeral, and I go back because he said how important was Sulaimani, and I said, of course, he's very important. The funeral had hundreds of thousands of people. Some people put the numbers in the million. And also uh, at in Qam, which, you know, this is the holiest place uh, for uh, Iran, uh, they raised uh, the red flag. The flag of so war. When, yeah, the flag of uh, to avenge the death of the martyr. Right. So usually, you know, when you are in mourning, you raise the black flag. They lowered, you know, the Iranian flag or the green flag, and, and you raise the black flag. And then in this case, they raised the red flag, which demands basically a revenge to the, uh, for the blood of what they term Suleimani now as a martyr, right? Right. So I don't think this is just going to war, you know, this is going to be swept under the rug and everything is going to go as before. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. As I said, it was a big surprise. And then coupled now, there is a lot of things. And that's why I go back. There's a lot of misinformation that is going on. And then if we talk, for example, about the downed uh, plane, the Ukrainian plane, initially, uh, you know, the timing of it, everybody thought it was an accident. But now, more and more, I've been watching some videos and that show you that, you know, there was a missile or at least something that looks like a missile. Well, the Canadian, just, so, just to let you know, Jamal, I'm sorry to break in. We do have some breaking news about that. The CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, did in fact um, say that President, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau did announce that Canadian, um, Canadian uh, intelligence officials have determined with a fair degree of certainty that the Ukrainian airline, the 737, carrying over 160 people was actually shot down by an Iranian missile. Now, that's not confirmed by anybody independently. This is just what Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, has said within the last hour. Um, more information forthcoming on that. But uh, that was certainly a big tragedy. So, uh, you know, what's going to happen because of this, right? Iran has not released the black boxes. And then we can blame the Iranians and say it was a mistake. But then we can go back to the beginning of this whole conflict, you know, obviously it was a mistake because they were so nervous after the attack that they thought that they've been attacked and shot, shot a plane that took off from Iran itself and then take it back to the assassination that, that started this whole thing, was started by Donald Trump. Right. So 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 we can also blame the death of these innocent people. Most of them are students and dual citizens because of this whole conflict to go after one person because Donald Trump uh, decided that he is uh, uh, putting the United States, I mean, I'm just paraphrasing, in imminent danger, and we have no proof of whatsoever about this, right? No, there's, there's no proof. These two senators, Senator Paul and Senator Lee, came out of an intelligence and military briefing about the targeted assassination and were extremely critical of the Trump administration, basically saying that there's, there was no evidence presented of imminent danger or threat to the United States or to U.S. citizens. 
So the Trump administration continues to avoid presenting the evidence. And in the absence of evidence for imminent danger, Jamal, this can be considered a war crime. I mean, does this drone targeted assassination remind you of any other country or any other events? Well, the only two countries that actually uh, use what uh, preemptive strikes uh, are uh, the United States and Israel. Those are the two countries that uh, engage in this, in at least in modern warfare. And uh, the uh, what we've seen, what the excuses that we've been given, you know, whether with uh, the same are the same excuses from Israel and the United States that we are trying to prevent a terror attack. And then later on, uh, Trump said that uh, they did it because they, uh, you know, he's trying to prevent an attack on the American embassy in Iraq. Uh, which, mind you, the American embassy in Iraq has been under attack for the past month by different groups, Iraqi yeah. groups, had nothing to do with Iranian groups. So if Iran wanted to target the American embassy, they don't have to to attack it with Katyusha rockets from the surrounding areas because, you know, the, the American embassy in Iraq is in the green zone and, and these... Uh, and, I was in Iraq in 2000, I think, 11, 12. And even during that time, certain groups were always trying to lob, uh, you know, Katyusha rockets uh, towards it and towards other installations there. I mean, right. I- Iran right. can do can do more damage as, as they have demonstrated by having these uh, missiles launched all the way from Iran, right? And they can uh, hit it this way. So... So that's a very weak excuse. Also, this is a time that ISIS or ISIL is on the retreat because of Soleimani. And it seems that the Syrian government has been expanding its territory. They've been driving driving ISIS out of its territory. And then all of a sudden you get rid of the man and then the other Iraqi groups that were with him, that who were responsible basically to kind of get rid of the uh, get rid of these terror groups. So the question is, does Trump want the situation to continue as is? In other words, uh, more Syrians keep getting killed because of uh, ISIL, and more Iraqis keep getting killed. I mean, this is this is kind of it doesn't make any sense to go after Iran in such a way and then later on say, oh, we're here, we're, we have a, we'll, we'll, we'll receive them with open arms, talk peace. Well, let, doesn't, make, doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense at all, Jamal, and I want to just emphasize something you said. You know, um, as a result of the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, um, not only is the region more destabilized, but you're correct. It's going to make the possibility of all the ISIS fighters who've been contained and, um, you know, um, somewhat neutralized in terms of whether or not they're in prison or surrounded militarily, that's off the table now. So a lot of the ISIS strongholds are going to be vulnerable now to being um, expanding their re-expanding their areas and having ISIS fighters go into 
the various areas in Syria and Iraq right now. The, the other thing that's important to keep in mind is that, and you alluded to this, there were protests at the U.S. Embassy. What were they protesting? They were protesting U.S. presence in Iraq. And Iraqis, as it turns out, not including the Kurdish region of Iraq, but Iraqis in general do not want the United States in Iraq right now. So my question continues, do you really think that the region is more stable and that American forces are more, more secure now in the region than they were before the assassination of Qasem Soleimani? Absolutely not. And I tell you, there are a lot of piece, people who are very nervous today because this move, number one, affects several countries. It affects Syria because now um, ISIL will get stronger and will get stronger in Iraq. That's right. It also affects neighboring countries. Israel, I can tell you right here in Israel, even though uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu congratulated Donald Trump, and, and this is what at least many people think that this is what Israel wants to see happen, it doesn't make people feel secure. No. Even though, you know, uh, you know, uh, they're both cheerleaders to each other, you know, you know, the Netanyahu is Donald Trump's cheerleader and vice versa. The people right here are very nervous because they know that if a full-fledged war breaks out, Israel will be the first one of the first target. The other the other target will be Saudi Arabia and the oil fields. And you saw the prices of oil, of course. Uh, you know, soaring up. And then, last but not least, people are wondering, you know, about all these U.S. bases in the Middle East. That's right. Where did the drone, where did the drone fly off? Many people are fo- pointing the finger towards Qatar, that the drone took off from Qatar, and that's why we saw the, Qat- the Qatari foreign minister fly immediately to Iran to kind of defuse the situation, basically to say we had nothing to do with it, etc. And also the uh, Soleimani's movement, and that's, you know, we go also to kind of the espionage aspect. People basically fed the United States the, the information about this. So there, were, there are also local culprits. So what I'm saying is, you're not going to see the reaction today. This is all a play. This is a play. What you're seeing now, in my opinion, it's a play. I think the reaction is going to be further down the road. I think you're and right. Many pe- And the Iranian government is going to hold many people accountable from those who basically fed the United States the intelligence about uh, the... Uh, movement of Soleimani and his exact location so he would be targeted to the country countries that house American troops and of course Iraq and also to uh, you know the lives of Americans and now added to this the victims the new victims that uh, we've seen with the downing of the Ukrainian you know plan I don't know how is that going to play. You know, you have uh, multinationalities on that plane. 
That's right. And you could, yes, you could blame Iran for shooting the missile, but also you could also blame the United States for starting this whole war or mini war that we've seen in the past few days. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm broadcasting live from San Francisco from our studio at KPOO, and we're speaking with Jamal live from Palestine in Jerusalem. Um, I think it's an, I think, you know, it's probably worth mentioning, Jamal, like in terms of sovereign integrity, if you look at all of the countries kind of in the region right now, Syria is completely destabilized. Lebanon is, you know, having its struggles right now, obviously, for many reasons. Iraq is completely destabilized. The region and the various governments are struggling to even function at a basic level. Iran is a different story, Jamal. Iran, in terms of its history and culture, is one of the oldest uh, cultural establishments in that region, some people say as far back as three, four, even 5,000 years ago. The Iranian military is one of the most formidable in the country. Its government infrastructure, despite the economic sanctions imposed by the Americans, is, is, is you know, well-functioning within the context. So I, I'm surprised, but I'm not too surprised, at the complete ignorance on the part of the uh, White House right now of fully being able to appreciate who they're taking on. This is not Bashar al-Assad. This is not Iraq. This is, this is Iran with a real, despite its difficulties, and it has a lot, is a formidable adversary. And we're not just talking about military power, Jamal. We're talking about cyber power. The ability of the Iranian cyber attack apparatus is very strong. And I think you're right. Maybe we won't see it tomorrow. Maybe we won't see it next week. But if you listen to the speeches of the supreme leader in Iran, of Hassan Nasrallah in, in Lebanon, in the south, this is not something that's going to go away quickly in the consciousness of uh, the Iranian nation. No, it's not. And uh, also, I, I think, you know, you, you're going to see uh, further development. This story, I, I don't think, has ended. Uh, I, I think uh, there was a way out also for the United States, and uh, I think Donald Trump took advantage of it now. But also, uh, what did we gain out of this? I mean, this is the question people have to ask. Well, what, what did the, we gain? The, nothing, because... Iran has already declared that they are not going to adhere by, by any agreements. Uh, you know, they're going to continue their uh, nuclear uh, enrichment program, and they are not going to be subject to any inspections. And so uh, they're not, we're not also sitting, uh, you know, nobody's negotiating with them. And, and so what's, what's really the end game? Uh, of course, Suleimani was an important person, but, uh, you know, this does not affect the whole regime or the military apparatus because they already has a replacement. 
probably people that are not willing to negotiate like uh, they were going to. And uh, also, I mean, the biggest loser in this whole thing is also uh, are the Iraqis, right? Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting caught in the middle between this whole conflict. The attack happened on their soil. Uh, Iraq has been struggling since the invasion, hasn't been able to stand up on its feet. And this is another setback. Uh, but one thing I saw, which is a little bit uh, different than what I've been seeing before, is in general, Iraqis, both Shiites and Sunnis, for the very first time, with the exception of few groups, want the United States to leave. That's right. The only group that doesn't are the Kurd, the Kurdish region in, in Kurdish uh, in Iraqi Kurdistan. I mean, they're the ones that continue to have American bases and American military personnel there. I mean, they, they issued a statement because, you know, there's the idea that the American military, the U.S. military, would have to withdraw from Iraq. And there was a statement from the Kurdish area saying they would welcome American soldiers. So I think you're right. This, this is a time uh, of kind of some unity between the Iraqi factions, minus the Kurds right now, do in fact seem to be unified. In fact, in the Iraqi parliament, there was a vote uh, taken to actually demand that the U.S. military leave Iraq immediately. So here's, here's the other question before we go on to something else. We've been kind of talking around it. On balance, if you look at you know, politically, economically, militarily, despite the rhetoric you heard from the White House or even from Tehran, on balance, who comes out ahead right now, Jamal? I think it, the Iranian regime comes out ahead on balance with all of this. What do you say? I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, and I don't think also the United States, uh, I, I think it's almost a stalemate. Uh, because Iran, uh, like I said, lost an important leader. It's going to take them a while to recover, and it also has a major psychological impact on the population. And that's why I felt that the Iranian government uh, was not strategic and had to respond uh, almost immediately to show, because people were demanding revenge. They wanted to show something. That's where I say there was an act, a play for the masses to calm them down to say, yeah, but we hit we hit their two bases, right? And and so 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 it's not going to be it's not for sure it is not a win uh, for them because the United States managed to assassinate an important person and they're gonna suffer psychologically because of this. Also, Donald Trump said he's a, now. I don't know what more sanctions was he going. He was going to impose. I mean, they've been under sanctions, so they've been struggling. They've been struggling, and uh, I don't see it um, just as a win. Also, Donald Trump. This is another show. Sadly, another uh, action by this administration to totally destroy the reputation of the United States on the global level. I mean, <laughs> you know, 
I watch uh, Pompeo and others uttering the words of peace and labeling countries terrorists, and people don't buy this. People seeing uh, are witnessing the hegemony of the United States. They see this uh, empire, basically, that Americans don't like to hear, calling themselves an empire and uh, just a colonial power that's just uh, running rogue, doing whatever it wants to do, uh, and nobody believes that, yeah, you know, we're, we're trying to bring peace, right, to the region and security uh, and so forth. So every, every action, you know, Donald Trump now, in general, I mean, I don't know about everywhere else, but I know the reputation, but in general, people look at him as the enemy of both the Arab world and the Muslim world and the Iranians, right? I mean, he has no friends. Well, he has he has the crown he has the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Yes, yes, but those are the despots and the and those who are benefiting from the petrodollars are only a handful of people, very few people when the masses are starving and living in poverty and the infrastructure all over is getting destroyed in the entire Middle East. The I'm talking about the general population who are watching what's going on and, and seeing, you know, every single action that Donald Trump takes, it's really at the expense of the Arab world, at the expense of Arabs and Muslims, at the expense of Palestinians, at the expense of Iraqis, at the expense of Iranians, at the expense of Syrians, at, you know, at the expense of Yemenis. I mean, this is, this is what people are saying. I'm not making this up. This is what you people... I mean, you know, they can see it. They right. see it and they feel it. I mean, before there was some doubt, like people were saying, you know, some people were in the camp of the United States and others were in other camps. But today, I tell you, he's just turning everyone against the United States. Well, Jamal, we only have uh, a few minutes left, maybe 10 or 15. And we can't have Arab talk with you being in Palestine, in Jerusalem, and not get an update from what's happening on the ground in Palestine. Um, you know, Gaza continues to be under siege. The United Nations said that by 2020, this year, Gaza would become uninhabitable for human life by 2020. It continues to be a disaster. Settlements continue to grow at an outrageous rate, and I know that in Jerusalem that the rate of Palestinians being dispossessed out of their homes in Jerusalem, families that have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, um, continue to lose their homes in Jerusalem every day, Jamal. And the Palestinian Authority, I think it would be fair to say, has become... Politically, I'm trying to find a word that I can say on the air without being fined by the FCC. But the best we could say about the Palestinian Authority right now is that it's completely incompetent. Can you, can you give us an update? You've been there for three weeks now. What, what's your observation on the ground in Palestine? Well, definitely. I mean, Gaza is a miserable situation just and the situation just gets keeps getting worse 
I mean, this is, uh, nothing has improved there. Uh, and people, I, I think they've lost hope. I've uh, recently been reading some reports on how, on how many young Palestinians are just working to find some money to basically get out of Gaza. I mean, this is what they want to do. I mean, this is, uh, uh, it's overcrowded. It's, uh, I, I don't think it can, you can, the situation can continue any, any longer unless you have a mass ex- exodus uh, out of uh, Gaza. But the, really, Gaza, when you're, when, when you're here, you feel it's not only in a disaster, a disastrous situation, but it's also is forgotten. And I'm saying it's forgotten even like amongst Palestinians who live in the West Bank, in Jerusalem, and so forth. And I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm saying because they have their own issues that now the attention is on them. I mean, Israel is going full force basically in the steps for the annexation of Area C, which is the largest part of the West Bank. So this is Area C, basically all the area outside of Jerusalem to the Jordan uh, Valley and and, and beyond, you know. So um, the plan to keep Palestinians in Bantustans is in motion. Israel is basically taking over. I mean, before... People were talking about, oh, no more settlements. Well, forget about it. Because even the United States, you know, if you listen to Pompeo, if you listen to uh, uh, Ambassador Friedman, he's saying, yeah, Israel has the right to keep, you know, to annex the West Bank, you know. This is not disputed territory. It's not occupied territory. So what's left? What's left? And then that brings you back to the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian Authority, and I don't want to get into the details because it's almost too late to kind of talk about it. Uh, they're basically ineffective. It's non-existent. Uh, they are the government of Ramallah. That's where they are. And a couple of other localities. I mean, the presence of the Palestinian Authority does not go beyond Ramallah, Nablus, Bethlehem, and Jericho, and a few other localities. Everything, everything outside these areas, they have no control. Right. The biggest part, the land, the fertile land, the Jordan Valley, etc., it's gone. It's, it's, you know, so that's why I say Gaza is not on the mind of many people here because now they're looking like, you know, what's, what, what's going to happen to us? And, and that's the battle here. I mean, um, as far as the situation in Jerusalem, the ethnic cleansing, the confiscation of property, the destruction of property continues on, on, a, on a daily basis. Uh, the, uh, also, the economical strangulation of people here is continuing. And, and then people are just sitting, watching it helplessly because... And now you could connect this to what's going on, what's, what, what Donald Trump is trying to stare in the Middle East, that actually the issue of Palestine 
is does not even come second or third or fourth or fifth right. issue uh, globally or or regionally because of what's going on in Syria, what's going on in Iraq, what's happening now in, 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 in Iran. People are just trying to survive. So what I'm hearing here, people are saying, listen, we're doing everything possible for us, really, existence is our resistance, okay? This is for them that the fact that they're trying to hang on and stay here yes. and not, Im- not immigrate is their resistance because there is no resistance, and I'm talking, let's say, in terms of military, military resistance, and so for them is really to resist the occupation is to exist. And uh, and of course, the uh, I can say I hear good things about the uh, what's happening in Ramallah, and they know that you have a weak government and you have basically a useless kind of uh, scenario. But at the same time, I don't see sadly like a national movement to try to change the situation to there's find no, there's a, no a cre- no elections coming up uh, it's it's a game it's a game between hamas and uh, and the palestinian authority uh, you know uh, uh, you know hamas says uh, you can't have an election without gaza being part of it and then Abu Mazen says you can't have an election without having Jerusalemites participate in the elections. But he knows, he knows very well that Israel is not going to allow this. So they're playing this game. You know, nobody wants to budge. I don't think that there's going to be an election. They've been talking about an election for years. And what good is an election when well, you don't have? Yeah. When you don't have power, when you don't have control. I mean. It, it, yeah, it's like a mayoral election. This is what it, it's going to be, yeah. or an election, or a, municip- mean, a municipal election. Yeah, it's a municipal election, and this is and this is not even happening. I think they're just you know I think I think people are just uh, as as far as people who, people who are in power, they're just buying their time. They're just extending their rule. Uh, they just not. They are not coming with any creative ways, and the people are exhausted. Jamal, that's the sad part of it. That's a that's a sad uh, update from Palestine. I, I I know we could go into more detail, but in the few minutes remaining, you know, I want to get to the uh, the Trump, uh, the Israeli Trump, if you will, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Donald Trump's best friend, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was unable to form a government, and now they're going to uh, a third election. And Benjamin Netanyahu last week, Jamal, asked the Knesset to give him immunity from prosecution. So things are kind of chaotic on on the Netanyahu-Israeli political scene. Do you have any quick updates based on what you've been reading in the Israeli press? Well, Benjamin Netanyahu is a sitting duck now. Uh, that's what I've been reading. And uh, he's just basically trying different creative things to form a coalition uh, unsuccessfully, I would say. 
And of course, if he loses, he knows he's basically the same thing. He's playing the same. Everybody is kind of playing a game of extending that time. Abu Mazen is playing a game to stay in power until he dies uh, in office. And Benjamin Netanyahu, maybe he's not doing it because he wants to die in office, but because he doesn't want to face, uh, you know, prosecution, right? So he's trying also to stay, to to extend, uh, uh, you know, uh, his his time. But it is also having an effect on the Israeli public. It is tearing the Israeli public apart because they see that uh, you know the ship is sailing without any leadership. Right. That's what it's what's happening to them, and they can't come up with any. Uh, budget and in by the way let me just tell you something which is amazing is that we've we've had severe rains uh, recently here and the interesting part about these severe rains major cities in Israel which are supposed to have a superior infrastructure to what we have in the West Bank are the ones who are getting flooded really so so one thing that I've been seeing like Haifa and Tel Aviv, and, you know, if you go to Tel Aviv, they're, they're spending billions of dollars on all these buildings, but their infrastructure is totally horrible, that um, people are dying because a couple of people died in an elevator because they, uh, the water was basically higher than the tops of cars in, wow. in some streets in Tel Aviv and, and Jaffa, and the same thing in Haifa. So the infrastructure is falling here. And I think that's because uh, also another another issue that Netanyahu will be facing that he is just uh, not focusing on improving people's lives and more focusing on building and grabbing more land and building settlements rather than improving what he has already. Well, um, that's the voice of Jamal Dejani, uh, Arab Talk co-host live from Palestine in Jerusalem. And Jamal, we want to uh, thank you for staying up late. It's it's pretty late in Palestine right now. We appreciate you staying up. And uh, but the good news is you're you're going to be back in studio. We'll both be back in studio next week. Um, we want to thank our listeners for a great year of support in 2019. We're looking forward to broadcasting news and views that are alternative to what you're hearing in the mainstream media and also giving you the kind of Arab worldview of uh, all things political. And so, uh, Jamal, have a safe trip back. We'll see you next week. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We'll see you next week.